This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us again. If you are one of the millions of Christians who know that God can deliver men and women from the power of any sin, then what Facebook and Instagram have just decided to do will greatly concern you. The tech giants recently announced they will ban any content that promotes so-called conversion therapy. Now, let me reiterate. I've said this many, many times, but I'll say it again. There is no such thing as conversion therapy as the left defines it. That is the idea that there are some nameless, dangerous people out there who falsely promise that you can pray away the gay and use nefarious and harmful techniques on unsuspecting clients to deceive them and destroy their lives. That's not happening. It's a myth. More than that, it's a big fat lie. What is happening is that the leftist censors are helping big gay activists to eradicate free speech online and in person because these activists despise the truth that people actually can leave a homosexual identity and homosexual behavior behind when they trust in Jesus Christ. So they want to marginalize and discredit and silence anybody who can help people who want to leave homosexuality. And the targets of this censorship are people like my next guest, who's on the front lines of seeing the Lord transform people out of sexual brokenness and who has experienced the Lord's transformation himself. So I want to welcome back to the program, Stephen Black, executive director of First Stone Ministries and author of Freedom Realized and many other wonderful acolytes that I don't have time to get into, but He's awesome. Stephen, great to have you with us. How are you? Hey, thank you, Janet. I really appreciate it. All right. I have to ask this first question. Is your Facebook page still intact? Because I thought of you when I read about what Facebook and Instagram want to do. How long will First Stone Ministries social media last, given this new announcement? Well, I don't don't know. Um, uh, Ironically, I just went to my Facebook site just now, and uh, uh, it's still there. Yeah, I thought it was missing. But yeah, it's still there for today. And uh, they are already moving at uh, censoring posts and anything that has to do with the idea of a testimony of coming out of homosexuality. Now, some of those things have been started to be censored, removed, and, and or flagged as untrue. Right. Now, now this is a kind of a stair-step approach because we've seen in person how they've gone after so-called conversion therapy and therapists around the country, even though there is no such thing as conversion therapy. So we have, what, about 18 states now that will not allow somebody to counsel anybody who has any sort of inclination to leave homosexual behavior behind. Now it's online. The question is, why can't somebody give his or her testimony? They're, they're the ones on the left who are always talking about the importance of telling your truth. I mean, why doesn't that apply to the other side? Uh, it's, it's revealing that, honestly, the LGBTQ mindset and the APA American Psychological Association narrative of orientation 
is is a a religion, a, a very much a humanistic, uh, cult like mindset, and the oppression of being intolerant is actually their cry now. They're they they are demanding that everyone accept the worldview that LGBTQ plus sign, and people need to really pay attention to that plus sign, because it does mean something, that these new orientations that they're saying are viable and good must be embraced. And so there is no tolerance with when it comes to LGBTQ mindset. And their, their idea is that it's kind of like the you know, the, the idea of what we're hearing in our culture about, you know, white privileged and the white uh, Anglo-Saxon man, you know, that somehow people like myself are, are bad, are somehow uh, oppressive, and yet the, uh, the heterosexual normative is what is viewed as, as something bad in the LGBTQ, love is love, is their messaging. This is what's happening, transpiring everywhere, and even in the highest places in the, in the church where there are now segues to this. Well, right. And and here's the thing. When you see all of this banning taking place, for example, our God's Voice conference that we held in 2019, we went through a situation where Vimeo banned the conference speeches that we had put up. And we never got really an explanation for that, did we? So we've seen this kind of censorship taking place in other areas before. Now it's just getting worse and worse. Yeah, their, their explanation, and, and of course, what was very sad about the God's Voice Conference is that the church that hosted us was also had their five years of sermons deleted, and their, their explanation was is that we were brokering in a violation, and this is what all of these tech giants are now saying. It's a violation of their community standard, and their community standard is that anyone that disagrees with the LGBTQ plus sign lifestyle is brokering in hate. Yeah. And so now the Christian message and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, when it comes to human sexuality and God's divine intention, which is one man, one woman in covenant marriage relationship, is a target by these people of being uh, somehow outside of their community standards of all things. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit, if you would, about the power of these gay activists with big tech, because it wasn't too long ago, I think you and I discussed this, there was one gay activist who kept going back to Amazon over and over and over and over again. You've got to get rid of these books, some of these books that are online on Amazon, available for sale there, that deal with the subject of leaving homosexuality. They're harmful, they're horrible, they're, you know, all the same rhetoric that you hear from the left. This guy finally prevailed, and people like Joe Dow and people like Joseph Nicolosi had their books removed from Amazon. I think Ann Polk from Restored Hope Network had a book removed from Amazon. And and hardly anybody really seems to care, Stephen. I mean, we're the only ones who seem to be upset about this in some ways. Yeah, you would, you would think that um, many of these um, law, law uh, defense of Christian ethic uh, would be, uh, you know, on the front line of this. You would think that major pastors in the United States would see that this is a huge problem when you're talking about something like the sin of LGBTQ plus sign. I mean, when you really look at that biblically and how egregious that is to God, and that people that are actually 
testifying and writing books about the freedom that is in Jesus Christ, which certainly was uh, Joe Dallas and Ann Polk's book. Uh, Joseph Nicolosi definitely came from a more therapeutic uh, persuasion and, and offering, but the reality is is that the church and the leaders in the highest places of the church should be fighting, and it's crickets. They're they're being very very quiet, uh, and I and I think I understand some of the reasons for that. Some of them have cha- actually started changing their belief systems about orientation, and this is coming now into the highest places of the evangelical church and uh, certainly ecumenical churches and, and uh, the Catholic Church. Uh, this higher learning of the American Psychological Association with the orientation narrative that is unchangeable, and yet gender is fluid. This, this is the kind of chaos that is actually being ingested at higher learning levels in all of our universities and even in uh, seminaries and Bible school. You've got people that are communicating these things. And so these younger people are, are communicating, well, it's unkind, it's uncompassionate, it's not nice, it's not civil. We don't want to bring, you know, an uncivility, you know, this, this whole civility messaging. You know, you, you, if you say anything against this, that you're somehow intolerant or a bigot. And so, bottom line, a lot of these, these leaders are just afraid, and, and they have a lot of money. Uh, the LGBTQ com- community with these tech giants, uh, they feel like they're completely empowered to do as they want. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, there's a lot more to talk about with Stephen Black from First Stone Ministries. We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford. We're joining with Bible League International, a ministry founded in 1938 to send God's word to Bibleless believers in Asia. Today, you can send a new Christian her very first Bible in her own language and at a level she can understand. Before last year, Malia in Sri Lanka had never heard the name of Jesus. Now she follows him and is determined to share Christ with everyone she meets, even those living in the grips of spiritual darkness who are hostile to the gospel. But she needs her own Bible 
Bible, and you can be the one to center the hope of God's Word. By giving now, you'll also help us meet our shared goal with Bible League of sending 1,200 Bibles to Asia. All it takes is $5, or $100 sends 20 Bibles. Call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. Thank you for caring. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, you can never argue with the power of a Christian testimony. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's what the Word of God says. And Stephen Black, my guest, who is executive director at First Stone Ministries, is a perfect example of that. The Lord delivered him from homosexuality over 30 years ago. He is now married to a beautiful woman, Robin, and they have wonderful family members, uh, kids and grandkids. And he's just doing a fantastic job, really reaching out in the love of Jesus Christ and the power power of the gospel to people who are in sexual brokenness. And now we've been talking about the fact that Facebook and Instagram have decided they will ban any content that promotes so-called conversion therapy. Stephen, I know we have talked about this before, but you have been right smack dab in the battle over all of this. Tell people a little bit briefly about what it is you do and about the myth of conversion therapy, as the left likes to call it. Yeah, well, the reason why I do what I do is I comfort people with the same comfort that I myself received uh, over 38 years ago. I received a, a radical, transformative experience with Jesus Christ, and He became my Savior, and as a result of that, I surrendered to His uh, Lordship, and he, He's been the Lord of my life ever since then. And I always like to remind people in the the testimony of the Lord is sure it makes wise a simple out of Psalms uh, Psalms 19 because the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And that's what the Lord did for me 38 years ago. He gave me his law. On the night I was saved, I started praying over the Bible, and he made it very clear that homosexuality was detestable in his sight. I had lived as a, as a gay man for eight years, and uh, he told me that night if I didn't accept him, I was going to die. And that summer is when we heard, a, heard about a mysterious disease called GRID, and by the time Robin and I uh, got married, uh, the AIDS epidemic was in full force in more than half of the people that I knew in the gay community were dead. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is why the Lord called me out and put me into this ministry. And I've been part of, was, the, you know, the, uh, the failed former Exodus Network. Uh, First Stone was one of the uh, founding ministries. Uh, I was also part of the founding of the Restored Hope Network, because First Stone remained solidly, biblically orthodox, in their view of human sexuality. And what we offer is pastoral care, counseling, and support groups and support, education, seminars, and conferences for people to to be equipped, to to be good offerings of, of discipleship and pastoral care throughout the church, and to help the sexually and relationally broken. 
So I've been doing this now for 30 years, Janet. Yeah, and you've done a fantastic job. And, you know, one of your strong suits, and you have so many strong suits, Stephen, in your ministry, is the fact that you have been willing, and we did this in our uh, Revoice Response Conference, God's Voice Conference last year. We're going to be doing another one as well. Details to come on that. But is your willingness to stand up to this lie that you can be a Christian and practice homosexuality or embrace a homosexual identity? That was the mistake and the the deadly error of Revoice that we spent so much time refuting. And you mentioned before we went to the break that now we are seeing an infiltration of this kind of Revoice ideology into the highest levels at some, you know, on some front uh, of evangelicalism. You see people like Sam Albury over at the Gospel Coalition and Preston Sprinkle and uh, Nate Collins, who is at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and started Revoice. Where do you see this going? Because once you have the Church of Jesus Christ infected with this kind of error, where does it end up, Stephen? And and what should our response be as Christians who are trying to be faithful to the Word of God? Yeah, and I think your listeners need to understand how this began, which was with the Mark Yarhouse and the D.A. Carson offering of a a paper that was authored 10 years ago uh, called A Christian Perspective on Sexual Identity, which began this understanding that we need to embrace sexual minorities, LGBTQ sexual minorities, as a viable minority group into the church. And so then you have Nate Collins underneath Albert Moeller, who repented in 2014 at the ERLC, saying that he, he no longer wants to you know, give a, a strong biblical message against orientation because he repented of it. He repented of the idea that he he didn't believe in orientation. Now he believes in it. And you've got Tim Keller and his wife, uh, Kathy, promoting the church audit and the idea that the church needs to embrace these things. So it's permeating the highest levels of Christianity, of this orientation narrative. and, And what it does is it makes people think that they are being unkind and unloving if they try to address the need for sanctification of the internal world of thinking, the actual uh, attractions and lusts and desires and appetites of a person, because those things are now cloaked with a word called orientation. And this is very deceptive. It's going on in all the church. And the reality is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, like in 2 Timothy chapter 3, It says that there would be perilous times that would come, and that people would actually offer a a form of godliness, a religion, but they would deny the power, the power which is the grace of God, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, to come in and change the way people think. We're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that verse right there in 2 Timothy, it says we're to turn away from such people that are offering such heresy. And and what the preceding verses tell us why we're supposed to turn away from those people, because these are people filled with knowledge, actual PhDs that are coming They say they have a knowledge of Christ, but they don't have the truth, and they become deceivers. And the Bible says we are to resist these people that are bringing a corruption and a folly into the church in those very preceding verses. And so there is a strong word of warning about what is going on. And ironically, I believe 
that this entire messaging of LGBTQ Christianity, because they're they're marrying it to to the word, and I like whatever Piper says in the In His Image documentary. He says, you know, you can't have a hyphenated Christianity. No. You, you don't put a lying Christian or adulterous Christian or a fornicating Christian, and you can't be a gay Christian or an LGBTQ Christian under this banner of sexual minorities. And this is what they're doing. This is what they're promoting. And albeit that there are people who, who struggle and they embrace celibacy, which I applaud those people, a repentant lifestyle must be part of of being under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to follow Him fully. But there is a hope in this gospel that you can, over time, receive a sanctifying work of the Spirit where your desires change, and they are truncating the message of the beginnings of the gospel, which is repentance. They are truncating the idea of an internal world of thinking in repentance, and that is egregious. That's what's happening in Christianity. Well, and you know, I think of a wonderful lady who now works for First Stone Ministries, Laura Beth Perry. I've interviewed her on my show several times before. She's been a wonderful, godly example of um, someone set free from transgenderism. And she had gone through all the surgery and all of the body mutilation that takes place when you're you're coping with that sort of a thing. And, and she is set free in Jesus Christ. And her testimony is incredible. And I think about people like her, Stephen, because if we don't hold the line on a biblical take, rejecting both homosexual behavior, homosexual orientation, homosexual identity, all the lies that go with that, all the lies that go with the transgender ideology that's being shoved down our throats at all times, and also reject this idea of so-called LGBTQ plus Christianity, then we are not being faithful to God. And second, second on that front, we have to really admit that we are not giving hope to people. Now, Something I wanted to ask you about, because you had made reference to it, and I want to let people know about this because I'm really excited. You were asked to give your testimony for this upcoming film called In His Image. You had just mentioned Everett Piper will be a part of that as well, which is really good. I've seen the film, and I just loved it. It was so biblically faithful, and I'm really excited that people are going to be able to see it. Now, we don't know the release date because of the COVID-19 nonsense. We're going to have a release date at some point for this uh, documentary from American Family Studios, but I know there's going to be on Saturday, a preview event. You can get information at inhisimage.movie. Tell me, Stephen, though, what it was like to be able to have the opportunity to share your testimony through a movie, because this is a way to reach a lot more people with the truth about what God says in his word about how he transforms people like you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I thank you for that question, because there's been naysayers that have tried, uh, have tried to disparage the movie foolishly because they've never even seen the movie. But because of some of the offerer, offerers, the other contributors in the movie, um, the, the reality is, is that it is so biblically sound. And I had the opportunity, and, not, and with some of those I didn't even know uh, were going to be in the movie. And, and I don't think it would have even stopped me from wanting to share my own testimony. Whenever the Lord opens up the door for us to share our own stories and, and to share the amazing grace of God in our lives, I think we should do it. Even if it's in a hostile environment, if we're given the platform to share, we should share. 
And so that's what I did with In His Image and InHisImage.movie is the website um, where people can can sign up for this sneak peek on uh, this Saturday. Uh, the Lord was so faithful to over and over and over with all the contributors uh, to reiterate truth with a capital T and the Word of God throughout this entire documentary. And I, I have seen it now, and it is outstanding. I want everyone I know to see it. Well, I'm so glad that you are willing to tell what the Lord has done in your life, and I know where you gave your testimony. I was just moved to tears. I always am. Check oh, out yeah, firststone.org is First Stone Ministries' website, headed up by the great Stephen Black. Thanks, Stephen, for being here. Thank you. God bless you. We'll be back. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, I don't know if you know the name Dr. Mike Adams, but you should know his name. Dr. Mike Adams was a professor of sociology and criminology at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. He was a Christian. He had been through an enormous battle with his university, a seven-year battle over academic freedom and free speech and his right to be uh, advanced at his university, and there's a whole long history on that. But you might have heard this week that Dr. Mike Adams has died. They found his body after a friend had reported to police that he hadn't seen him for a few days. They found his body inside his home, and now the police are saying that it was suicide. Now, the reason that this is such an important thing and why I want to devote some time to talking about Mike Adams is because there are several issues surrounding his death, not to mention the suicide, but his death that should be important to us as Christians. Now, Mike Adams, I didn't know him personally. I had interviewed him on a couple of occasions over the years, found him to be really, really bright, had just incredible courage when it came to standing up to the left and standing up for free speech and as I mentioned before, he stood up against feminists. He wrote a book called Letters to a Young Progressive, and he wrote about feminism and really exposed a lot of their ridiculous arguments. But more than that, he was willing to take punch after punch after punch in order to stand up for the truth. And there are very few people in my experience who really have that kind of backbone to take that kind of guff and to work in an environment where it's just Marxists everywhere. And that's how it is in academia. There are lots of people, regardless of where the school is located, academia is just flooded with far left professors and far left administrators. And I don't have to convince you of that. You get to hear all about that every single day. And you see a lot of this stuff now spilling out into the streets of America. But it was very sad to me to hear the news about Mike Adams. And part of the reason it was sad for me was because he had fought so much and for so long. And most recently, he had put some tweets out that got the left all upset. 
And it ended with him being forced out of his university. And he had agreed to take a deal where he would be paid out about a half million dollars. I later learned it was over uh, several years, not just one big lump sum, but over several years he was to receive this money. And he was kind of at the end of his career in a way in academia. Now, I had expected that he would bounce back, that he would probably find a new place to go and some Christian college would snap him up. Somebody will snap him up. He's smart. You know, he was a columnist at townhall.com and wrote books and had a lot of really great things to say about all of these subjects, just a really strong conservative and a Christian. He worked with Summit Ministries, did a lot of speaking out at Summit Ministries, which deals, as you know, with students. And so he he had so many talents. And so when this happened, I had tweeted out something, you know, just a little message of support for him because I had not seen anything from him. We followed each other on Twitter. Mike and I didn't know him, but we followed each other. And I hadn't seen anything on Twitter from Mike in a while. But I did see the story that he was being forced out of his job. And I thought, oh, man, not again. Hasn't this man been through enough? And I put out a tweet and I said something to the effect of this is awful. And, you know, Mike Adams is a great guy and he's really smart and he stands up to the left in liberal academia. And one of the tweets for which he had been criticized was a reference to the fact that he thought women's studies was a useless major. And I said something to the effect, by the way, yes, women's studies is a useless major. Well, not too long after that, and this was just a few weeks ago, I got a private message from Mike and he just said a couple of brief things, but he thanked me for putting out the tweet and talked about, hey, maybe I can go into radio. And I encouraged him and I said, Mike, you would be fabulous in radio. If there's anything that I can ever do for you, please let me know. I would love to be able to be, um, you know, a help to you in any way I can. Just let me know. And that was kind of where it stood. And then a couple of weeks later, we get this news and I'm thinking to myself, This is a man who fought and fought and fought and fought and fought. And this is how it ended. This is how his life ended. I can't believe this. And it's been, I've been really distraught about it. No, I didn't know him. But sometimes when you have particular circumstances, you get upset because there's a lot more packed into this situation, I think, than meets the eye. I want to play for you before I get into more on this a little bit, just to give you a glimpse of Mike Adams. This is from a 2015 interview that he did on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson, who asked him, what happened to you? Because you were basically somebody who believed in moral relativism and you ended up becoming a Christian. What happened to you once it became known that you were no longer a moral relativist, but a Christian? This is what Mike said, cut one. Well, it's interesting. Uh, Later on, after I had an experience on on death row, actually, in Mm -hmm. Texas, I was interviewing a mentally handicapped uh, prisoner there, and he actually quoted John three sixteen to me, mm-hmm. and I realized I had never read the Bible, and I call myself an educated person. Mm-hmm. So I actually went into a study of Christianity, uh, lasted for about nine months, and had that conversion specifically yeah. to Christianity in the year two thousand. And shortly after that, I started to criticize the university for its lack of commitment to uh, ideological diversity Mm -hmm. and uh, just the incredible um, ideological echo chambers that colleges have become. And also their their strong uh, antipathy towards uh, free speech and religious freedom. And I actually started to speak out about it and eventually write about it on a column for townhall.com. And a few years later, when I went up for that promotion to full professor, the guy who had been counted as the, you know, professor of the year two times by his university was judged to be deficient in every single area, teaching, research and service. 
Wow. And then he talked a bit about his legal fight against academic persecution at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. This is cut to. When that decision came down, you know, we, we had to decide whether we were going to fight. And fortunately, uh, I had some good friends, including David French, who at that time mm-hmm. was uh, with the ADF. And uh, we got together and we decided we were going to fight that thing, Pat. We had no idea that it was going to be a seven-year uh, lawsuit. Another person that you had mocked, Jay Sekulow, yeah. became your counsel. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, uh, David French had switched over to the ACLJ uh-huh. in, in the middle of the lawsuit. So it ended up being this joint effort. And so Jay was uh, actually involved in, in my appeal. So, you know, here I am 15, 20 years later after I used to curse this guy. I've converted and now he's my lawyer. So well, did he win? Uh, we actually had to fight that thing for years going before the Fourth Circuit to actually win a jury trial. And seven years after we filed the suit, we walked into a courtroom for a three day trial in North Carolina. And it took the, uh, the jury less than two hours to return a Unanimous verdict in my favor, and I won and got the promotion. So You got it. We won. But they don't love you now, though. Uh, not so much. Well, and you could see how much the left despised Mike Adams after his death was announced, because I saw some of the cruelest, meanest, most evil tweets I've ever seen on Twitter in response to the news that Mike Adams had died, even before it was revealed how he died. And I... I read these things and I know that there are people out there who despised him. And I know there are people out there who are really evil, but sometimes you are just jarred by how evil evil can be. And I was thinking to myself how important it is for me to pray for these people that they come to know the Lord the way that Mike came to know the Lord. And and yet, and yet I cannot get past my concerns over what happened not just with his death, but then what was revealed in a blog post that was written by Robert Gagnon. Now, Robert Gagnon, I've known for quite a while. He is probably the premier expert on talking about the Bible and homosexuality. He's an absolute genius, biblically speaking, on this subject. But he also has a lot of good commentary. And he put out a Facebook post that I thought was tremendous. And it was called Left Wing Cancel Culture Killed Mike Adams. Now, Robert had gone through uh, his own nightmare situation at a seminary where he used to work for different reasons, but he had been friends with Mike and he had put out a Facebook post saying that he had long calls with Mike when the crisis at his university was at its height in mid-June and on July 1st when Mike had reached a settlement but still had a day to reconsider on both calls. Mike expressed to me deep disappointment that David French had not helped him in his latest crisis. He attributed this to David drinking so much from the never Trump well since 2016 and having become so abrasive to evangelicals who voted for Trump, Mike felt abandoned by David and other elite evangelicals. David French, who had worked at ADF, had been his lawyer for seven years and now writes on his own, having left National Review. But There's more to this. We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today right after this. Stay with us. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in the USA. When a mother chooses life, preborn centers are there to help with the baby's needs, counseling, and so much more, free of charge. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life will be without her. 
The Ministry of Preborn is the largest nationwide provider of free ultrasounds for expectant moms in crisis. There's just something about seeing your own baby's heartbeat that moves a mom's heart toward life like nothing else. Will you please help support Preborn in the cause for life? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855 That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's your host, Janet Mefford. We're talking a little bit about the death of Dr. Mike Adams, who is a professor of criminology at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. He was on his way out. He actually had negotiated a deal for a payout from the university. He got a big backlash over some tweets. You can lose your whole career now due to some tweets because this is the leftist cancel culture and boy, did the left hate Mike. But Mike stood for the principles that are vital, not just for us as Christians and conservatives, but are vital for all of America. And that is free speech and the ability to speak your mind and to have academic freedom and to criticize what needs to be criticized, feminism and the perils of feminism and the LGBT movement and some of these other, you know, critical race theory. And he was most recently criticizing uh, Roy Cooper, the governor of North Carolina, for his insane pandemic policies. And that was one of the tweets that got him into trouble. But as I was saying, the reason that this now has hit home with me was not just because I had a little bit of contact with Mike a few weeks before he was found to have died, but also because this Robert Gagnon post on Facebook about left-wing cancel culture killing Mike Adams brings out two important points. He said if he had still been a leftist, and he says Mike was a good and decent man of God, a courageous man of God who stood up to the bullies and haters on the left for years, often using satirical humor. He started out as an unbelieving leftist, became a Christian, and defended the pro-life cause and free speech on college campuses. I weep at our loss and for the pain he must have felt in the last two or three weeks of his life. And if he had still been a leftist, the left would have charged the right with murder for making him feel unsafe, for harassing him year after year, for the perpetually hostile work environment, for the slanderous personal attacks, and for the feces that some leftists put in his mailbox. He told me this when they did their best to get rid of him from the university over a month ago. Instead, revolting haters are now spewing out their venom and claim that he deserved it for being a hater and attribute his suicide to the intrinsic mental illness of his gallant positions. 
Media descriptions of his death focus on his vile tweets. Right, right. Focus on the vile tweets. He was a racist. He was a homophobe. He was sexist. He wasn't. He wasn't. But he was trying to be a free American. And what strikes me the most about all this was the part I was reading to you a few moments ago, that David French, who had been of such help to Mike Adams at the time that he went through this seven-year legal fight against his university, according to Mike in Robert's post, didn't help him much in this crisis, and he felt abandoned. Now, David French put out what was a nice piece on Mike, but he did include in the piece that there were certain things that he didn't agree with with Mike. And I thought, you know, do you have to say that? The man has gone. You know, I mean, why would you say? But I thought about this on a broader level. And this is what I wanted to say. I, I am very concerned about the problem of Christians feeling abandoned when they most need support and encouragement. And in particular, just because of what I do, I have that concern for Christians in the public eye. I don't think I could have ever imagined when I got into radio how insane the culture would get and how difficult it would be at times to take stances that everybody pretty much would have agreed with 20 years ago. And some of the vitriol and some of the pushback and some of the threats and some of the nasty lying posts that are on social media or on people's websites or even on news sites, it can wear on you. And what happens is you can go in one of two directions. You can either fall apart and quit or, you know, other sorts of coping mechanisms that would take you out of the game because you just don't want to deal with it anymore. And I know a lot of Christians who do that. I just don't want to fight. I don't want these people coming after me. I don't want to get death threats anymore. I don't want to have people screaming and yelling at me. I don't want to be protested against. I can't take it. I just want to do the easy thing. I just want to talk about Jesus and I'm not going to talk about the controversial stuff. Isn't that though what's going on in a lot of our pulpits? A lot of our pastors are acting like that. I don't want the hassle because I know the mob will come after me if I say something that's controversial. They'll come after me. And so what happens on the other opposite end? You have people like Mike Adams who say, but this is an important fight and somebody has to stand up to the mob or other people will suffer at the hands of the mob. Somebody has to stop the bullies. Somebody has to call out their errors. Somebody has to make sure that the truth is heard. And so they take a public stand and they're brave and they're bold and people see them in the media or people hear them in interviews and they say, praise God for somebody like that. A Christian who will take a stand, a Christian who has a backbone and is willing to really take on this fight without worrying about the kind of personal pushback that inevitably he will get. But here's the thing that people don't realize. When you have people like that who will take a stand and who will fight public battles and who will take on the powerful and who will fight these really unpleasant wars that most people would shy away from, they may get a victory, but the toll that it takes on them can be severe. And I know a little bit of this from personal experience. I'm not Mike Adams, but I know a little bit about this because I know a lot of people and I know what, you know, certain situations with friends of mine. Everybody needs support and encouragement. Everybody does. And I wonder if in the case of Mike Adams, people said, well, this is a guy who took on UNC Wilmington and he won. This is a guy who's just very bold. Sometimes you're bold and sometimes you will fight because you're so concerned that if you don't, that you just have blown it all. You know, uh, you have to fight because if you don't fight these people, they'll win. And that's just not an option. But there are a lot of people who have a public persona like that. And people look at them and say, oh, they're fine. 
They're fine. They can stand alone. Look what they do every single day. They're brave. They're bold. They have a spine. No problem. They don't come across as needy. They don't ask for help. They don't come to most people and say, I'm having a hard time. I really feel alone. I feel like everything is dropped out. The bottom is dropped out of my world and I need somebody to help me. And it seems from some of these reports, Robert Gagnon's post, for example, that that's exactly what Mike Adams needed and didn't get. Didn't get enough of it at any rate. I don't know all the details, but that really struck a chord with me because we need more Christians who are taking a public stand to get the support that they need and get people to come alongside them and not abandon them. And you think about all of the examples that we have in scripture of abandonment. You know, think about this. Jesus in in John chapter six, the disciples deserted him. They deserted him. They were telling him about, oh, you're, you're teaching something difficult. Who can accept it? And he was aware they were grumbling. And he said, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And we know the Lord was abandoned by his disciples when he was on the cross. And they rectified it a few days later. But Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned, doesn't he? And the Apostle Paul knows what it is like to be abandoned as well. I mean, think about the reference, for example, to Demas. Remember Demas? He had at one time been part of the fellow workers in Paul's gospel ministry, Mark and Luke and some others. This is mentioned in Philemon chapter one. And Demas was in Rome when Paul was in prison. This is outlined in Colossians chapter four. And Demas was with Paul during his second imprisonment in Rome, at least for a while. There's some biblical evidence to that effect. And what happens in second Timothy chapter four? Paul makes reference to Demas because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And the Greek verb, as got questions points out, used in this original implies that Demas had not merely left Paul, but had left him in the lurch. That is, Demas had abandoned Paul in a time of need. The apostle was in prison. He was faith, facing a death sentence. And that's when Demas chose to set sail. And undoubtedly, Paul was deeply let down by Demas, It's never easy to see a friend and associate in whom you've placed your trust forsake you in the midst of hardship. So I think this is just a reminder that you need to remember that your fellow Christians need you, not just famous Christians, although those people do need you. Uh, Anybody you know who's in the public eye and is taking a stand, back them up. Maybe it's a seminary professor. Maybe it's a ministry leader. Maybe it's your pastor. Those people need encouragement. And because they're leaders, a lot of people think, You know, they don't need me. Yeah, they do. They do. We're a body. We're a body. We can't say, you're just a hand. I have no need of you. We need each other. And think about how Paul went on to talk about the the Demas situation. And he says, Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You too should beware of him for he has vigorously opposed our message. But then this great verse, verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message would be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles would hear it. So I was delivered from the mouth of the lion. There is hope 
there is hope because the Lord is always with us, even when people desert us. And that's the good news we can take away from this. Hey, thanks for being with us. We've got to leave it there. Remember, this hour, Janet Mefford today has been brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us continue to send Bibles to needy Christians in Asia. $5 pays for one Bible. 800-YES-WORD is the number. 800-YES-WORD.